Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Good evening. Tonight, I'll be doing some stories with Madame Raven. Please be sure to check out her channel in the description as well as maybe drop a sub if you enjoyed. Without further ado, let's begin. I come down to the kitchen for breakfast on a Saturday morning. My mum and my sister are already up, and they look exhausted. My mum asks, Did you sleep alright? Yeah, says I. Even after you woke up? I, I woke up? Sometime in the middle of the night, I had started screaming. My mum rushed into my room and found me sitting up in bed, screaming, Roy! 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 She did her best to calm me down while shooting away my pissed off sister who had stormed in to find out what the fuck was going on with me. She asked me who Roy was, but I would only say that he was a bad man. I didn't see anything but Roy is a bad man. I'm shocked as they're telling me all of this and they're surprised that I don't remember. But then again, I'm the sound sleeper of the house who can doze through lightning storms. We write it off as some weird nightmare that I don't remember. Years later, I am off at my first year of college. My mum sends me a videotape in the mail. She didn't mention it before I had left, as in, hey, keep your eye out on the mailbox, or anything like that. I press play and it's my mum taking a video camera through our house. She was moving and sent the tape as one last walkthrough of our now empty house before she left. It was sweet and a little tear-jerking until she said, So, here's something you might find interesting. When she approached a closet in our bedroom, This closet, aside from being the hiding place for all Christmas gifts, was also always packed full of old luggage and other odds and ends. You could only go three feet in before you could have to start climbing on things to go further. She goes in with the camera and I see that there are purple crayon drawings on the wall, down at the height where a small child would draw. There are random scribbles, some stick figures, something that may have been a dog, I was already puzzled because I had no memory of ever playing in the closet and I don't know how I would have drawn on the walls when they were, in my mind, always covered. Then the camera comes to a word on the wall. Roy. And my mum must not have remembered that night, she said on the tape. Roy, I wonder who Roy is. Is called... I won the Mega Million Lottery. They say your life can change in an instant. I've been buying lottery tickets for more than 25 years. (laughs) Honestly, I never expected to win the big one. Everyone knows the odds are astronomically small. Still, 
Something always compelled me to buy a couple of those damned things every week. A few times, I matched three numbers and won a small payout. Even that triggered a mild euphoria in my brain. Look at me. I'm a winner. <laughs> Once, I even managed to get four out of six, and possibly made up for all the cash I'd been wasting over the years trying to win. Is breaking even even a justification for playing, though? No, definitely not. But there's a gambling spirit in most of us. We hope fate will tip the scales of the cosmic justice and smile favorably upon us. We try to beat those long odds of probability. The thrill of a challenge sucks us in because we think, What if? I was that guy, trying to strike it rich with a stubby number two pencil and a dotted up lotto sheet. In the back of my mind, I knew some unsuspecting loser with a handful of dollars would get lucky. But all of a sudden, it was me that won the big jackpot. They didn't register at first. How ironic that I had been trying to do something for a quarter of a century, and when it actually happened, I wasn't ready for it. Bells and whistles went off. My face was all over the news. Friends, I'd never expected to ever encounter again, came out of the woodwork to congratulate me. Then they went out of their way to remind me just how important I was to them. The good luck just kept pouring in. My new entourage had suggestions on what I should do with my money. Either that or they had their brazen hands out to lighten the burden. Uncle Sam was right there in the front to take his cut first. Truthfully, I wasn't surprised by any of it. It's human nature for the parasites to go for fresh blood. I just stepped back and marveled at the opportunistic feeding frenzy my life had become. It was about this time I started noticing odd things out of the corner of my eye. Inanimate objects appeared to be moving or shifting slightly in my presence. I thought it was hallucinations, induced by the stress of a life-changing experience. I wasn't sleeping well. I was drinking way too much. Does the human body differentiate between boozing excessively for sadness or for celebration? I doubt it matters that much to the liver. I hoped that the strange visions would end when I stopped partying so hard. Not surprising, my very transparent ex-wife wanted to reconcile as soon as she heard. My co-workers started treating me differently, too. It was as if they expected me to pack up my things and quit my job the moment the lottery commission handed me an oversized novelty check. <sighs> I must admit, I considered it. Who needs the hassle of micromanagers and TPS reports? when you are financially taken care of for life. I certainly didn't enjoy the daily aggravation of being a working stiff, but I wanted to maintain the illusion of still being a regular guy. Subconsciously, I realized I needed a justification to get out of bed. Plus, going through the motions at work prevented me from blowing massive piles of cash on exotic Italian sports cars that I had no business driving around. 
After a few months, things in my life leveled out a bit. I settled down. I assume I'd successfully navigated the perilous adjustment period of becoming instantly loaded. I'd stopped drinking. I'd even managed to cut the freeloaders and parasites out of my life. But something still wasn't right. The unexplained movement in my peripheral vision was still there, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. The instances were becoming more frequent, and I didn't know how to admit to a doctor that I had issues of that sort. Frankly, I was scared they might commit me if I had divulged I was seeing things. That morning, I watched in horror as my anti-slip shower mat slid away as I was about to step on it. I would have face-planted if I hadn't been paying attention to the floor. The only explanation I could offer was that a breeze caused from opening the shower door blew it out from under my feet. That didn't seem too likely, but I was grasping at straws. I was desperate to find a logical explanation for the endless wave of unexplainable events. Next, a heavy storage shelf in my garage almost fell on me as I walked by. It would have flattened me if I hadn't seen it coming first and intervened. Somehow I managed to tip it back upright. I couldn't even blame it on my weight shaking the floor. The garage is built on a thick concrete slab. There's no way a person walking past could cause the shelf to tip over as it did. I know that now. At the time, I made some pathetic excuse about piling too many heavy things on the top shelf. Admittedly, it really is top-heavy, but not enough to be unstable. I was certain of that. After weeks of restlessness and freeloader paranoia, I suspected everything and everyone. I imagined diabolical plots against me, most of which were probably nothing. How inanimate objects could conspire against me, I had no idea. But the circumstantial evidence was mounting. I realized the whole thing probably seemed unhinged to an outsider. But I couldn't let go of the idea of a cosmic conspiracy. It was all starting to make sense. The same unknown forces, which temporarily unbalanced the scale in my favor seemed to be trying to reverse my lucky streak. Perhaps it wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe no human being is supposed to have that much good luck and fortune in their lifetime. If the cosmos was trying to undo my lottery win, or make me pay some form of karmic restitution, it made sense for my shower mat to zip across the floor. It was like a sinister force was waiting around every corner to trip me and equalize the situation. Every time I reminded myself how stark raving mad my retaliatory fate theory sounded, I reflected on the sad tale of a dozen other lottery winners in the news. None of them managed to live happily ever after. My internet search was so filled with appalling examples of others who got lucky temporarily, and then had a mysterious and rapid reversal of fortune. They would die of a heart attack, lose their spouse, or just squander all their money away on strippers and drugs. The sheer number of rags to riches 
and then rapidly back to Rag's stories, I found was incredibly high. It seemed far too often to be coincidental. I did some research on probability ratios. There had to be a reason for their universal failure rate and my financial ruin of all my lottery-winning peers. My hypothesis was that others who had experienced the same instant wealth also encountered the unexplained movement phenomena. Just like me, I believe they quickly realized what was going on, but didn't dare tell anyone out of fear. They knew they were caught in a curse, and sought to deliberately squander their monetary windfall, to cast it off before it killed them. As if to reinforce my epiphany, a massive chandelier in my new mansion fell and missed me by inches. They were determined to get me. I knew eventually something would be successful. The gods didn't like showing favoritism in matters of fate and chance. If I didn't squander my wealth soon, I'd be in the ground. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But I systematically burned through huge piles of cash and purchases in record time. As expected, the random attempts by fate to kill me lessened in frequency and severity. I had numerous friends and family members pull me aside and try to talk some sense into me. I just smiled each time and offered them a bottle of thousand-dollar champagne. For once, I knew they meant well. They were sincerely trying to help me stop wasting all of my money. They had no idea that lottery winners like me are under constant attack <laughs> by inanimate objects. <laughs> I certainly couldn't tell anyone I knew the truth. No one would believe me. I just feigned ignorance and smiled for the cameras. The press had a love affair with losers winning big and winners losing big. After a whirlwind marathon of wasting my entire fortune, I'm safe now. The attacks have stopped and I've learned my lesson. It's not so good to have fate smile upon you. There's an ugly price to pay. I am glad I kept my job. I'm only sharing this dark truth with open-minded strangers like you to spare you the heightened danger you unknowingly place yourself in. Please don't reveal the secret, and for heaven's sake, don't ever buy a lottery ticket. You'll join a long line of regular Joes who crash and burn under the pressure. I know the truth. And now, you do too. So quoth this raven. Long before I was born, my parents were renting a house in a different part of our state. My mother never really liked the place. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Something just seemed off to her. The feeling still hadn't gone away even after a couple of months of living there. In fact, as time went on, she began to feel even more ill at ease. She chalked it up to paranoia. My father's schedule was shifted and he was placed on night duty. The first night she was due to be alone in the house, she had a terrible anxiety attack. Something bad was around her. She could just feel it. And she called a friend and had her stay the night. The next day, my dad kidded her about being such a wuss. Before my dad left for work the next night, my mother sheepishly placed a large pair of sharp sewing shears under her pillow. She said she felt embarrassed because of course it was just all in her imagination. She had considered a knife but figured that was too silly and over the top. Still, she wanted something. Just to focus on really. That could help calm her nerves when she went to bed. The dream was very intense, the kind where you have no idea it is even a dream. She said in the dream she got up to go to the bathroom and she was on her way back to the bedroom. In her dream, she suddenly started to feel a tingling sensation all over. Then she couldn't breathe. At first in the dream she was calm, but her breathing wasn't coming. She tried swallowing and felt a hard pressure against her throat, a hand pushing and not letting go. Then the pressure jumped and was under jawline, squeezing so that her whole neck was collapsing inwards. She fell to her knees. She was suddenly aware that she was making gurgling sounds. For some reason, she said it felt like she wanted to retch out her tongue just so she could get some air in. There was a throbbing under her ears and the hallway started tilting. She didn't know why, but she was overcome with only one thought she had to get to the bedroom. She began crawling along the hall on her knees, propelling herself along by her elbows, still choking and gasping. The carpet burned against her skin. It felt as if she were underwater. Every slight movement met by resistance. Finally, she made it into the bedroom. Despite her best attempts to calm herself, her heart was beating so hard it had physically started to hurt as well. Suddenly, whatever had her neck tightened to the point where she heard a cracking sound, she thought, I'm going to die, and this gave her dream self a surge of adrenaline. She thrust her arms up onto the bed and grabbed under the pillow, and that's when she woke up. The sun was coming up and there was fresh light in the room. She was drenched in sweat and lay in the bed for about half an hour, too shook to move. When she finally convinced herself to get up and swung her legs out from under the blanket, she felt a stinging, sore sensation. She looked down on the worst carpet burn she had ever seen. Layers of skin peeled off, small streaks of red blood on pink skin. It was only after she'd slowly made her way around the bed and towards the door that she found what happened to the sewing shears. They were stuck three inches deep into a cheaply made wall. My mum packed her bags and had moved in with her sister before my dad even got home. She refused to go back into that house no matter how much my dad complained about the cost of getting out of their lease. 
Finally, my dad gave up and called the landlord, ready for a fight. He was surprised when the landlord relented and gave him a get-out that barely cost my parents anything. I guess you finally found out, the landlord said. Found out, said my dad. It turned out that about five years earlier a woman had been found dead in the house. The coroner ruled it a homicide seeing that she had been strangled. The woman's boyfriend, who claimed he wasn't anywhere nearby, was arrested and convicted. I know the boyfriend didn't do it, my mum finished up. And that's why I tell your dad I saved his life, because I did. I saved my own and saved him from having to spend the rest of his life in prison. An Evening with Clara Not everyone could see them. Heck, probably half of those who did convinced themselves later it was their imagination at work. I wasn't about to disagree with the believers. Nor was I willing to proclaim it to be the truth, either. I simply didn't know what to think. Wandering spirits were said to walk the grounds of the local cemetery at night. That's what they said. (laughs) Others were more than a wee bit skeptical. I was with the doubters for a long, long time. One thing I noticed about the ardent naysayers, though, was that none of them were willing to go there and not see for themselves. When challenged, they made excuses about not wanting to waste time dignifying a silly superstition. That either sounded highly evolved or yellow dog coward, depending on your personal perspective. I finally decided to go and witness for myself if it was real or not. I was surprised to see a sizable gathering, already present near the front gate of the manicured grounds. Every memorial bench and reflective spot was already taken. I knew a few of the other congregants, but each of us instinctively averted our eyes in embarrassment. The evolved made such a fuss over those who believed in spirits that it wasn't cool to even entertain the idea. I have no doubt that a large number of very public critics were just as curious as we were. We all pretended not to see each other. That was fairly easy to do in the dim illumination of the security lights. It was just a bunch of random strangers standing around the lush gardens and rolling hills of a cemetery in the dark. (laughs) Finally, I worked up the courage to ask someone when the show was supposed to start. The lady didn't even look towards me. She had the appearance of a true believer. No sooner that the words left my lips than I felt like an idiot. Even if there really was something to the supernatural claim, it's not like the spirits would magically appear at 12.05, like an established train route schedule. <laughs> I see you're new here. (laughs) That's okay. You all came as skeptics. Just try to keep an open mind. (laughs) I think you'll find that useful if you sincerely want to see the spirits rise. Otherwise, you'll just validate what you already think. You can't expect to be proven wrong if you came here determined to watch us fail. I made eye contact with her for the first time. 
There was a certain level of undeniable logic and wisdom in her words. I made a conscious effort to let go of my preconceived notions and be completely open to whatever the experience brought. It wasn't long before my genuine efforts were rewarded. A hushed silence fell over the graveyard mob. Dancing swirls of organized mist seemed to come out of nowhere. These unexplained wisps of fog hovered all around us, as if inspecting our level of sincerity. If nothing more happened, it was already a moral victory for the believers. I understood their passion and excitement finally. I witnessed the same phenomena they were so charged up about. It was unlikely a camera could have captured the mysterious event anyway, but the skeptical townfolk were already married to the idea that it wasn't real. There was no convincing those close-minded people. Beyond the ethereal light show I watched with my own eyes, I didn't expect anything more. The whole thing could possibly be explained by scientific data, water evaporation, or other natural factors. But there really was something going on. They could argue that, but the rest was conjecture and opinion. I was fully prepared to walk away from the validator's point of view when something indefinitely more exciting happened. There, before my eyes, these billowy, shapeless wisps of drifting vapor began to divide into separate, distinct clusters. I don't mind admitting that I wet myself a little bit. Frankly, I was terrified, but I was also fascinated. The palpable chill in the air didn't help matters, but I'm convinced that I would have had the same goosebumps either way. It was absolutely electric. The personal details were hazy and marred by a translucent-like aura, but it was clear, full-bodied outlines of several expired human beings. A rising murmur of excitement filled the air. One by one, they came forth from nothingness. I counted at least two dozen of the otherworldly creatures appearing out of the mist. Someone with far more bravery than I stepped forward and clasped one of their semi-solid hands. I had honest-to-goodness chills at this paranormal contact. Slowly, they walked away together towards a secluded portion of the cemetery. Others followed. Hand in hand, the presumably nervous living and the anxious dead adjourned to private locales for a very unusual meeting. When it was my turn, I found the courage to step forward and take the hand of my departed companion for the evening. My knees were shaking terribly, but somehow I managed to rise to the exceptional occasion. She led me towards a well-worn headstone, at the older portion of the grounds. The name on the marker was long since faded away, but she introduced herself to clear up any personal ambiguity. I am, or was, Clara Eve Bartok, and this cemetery would appear to be my permanent residence. Not every grave here holds a wandering soul like me. <laughs> Some of them are empty, save for their deteriorating remains. For the rest of us trapped here, 
This is both the sanctuary and our prison. I do not know what sin I committed to be stranded here, but I am incredibly lonely. All of us are. We crave and sink the warmth of a living soul's compassionate embrace, and also a kind ear to hear our stories and sordid confessions. It's not that we are alone here in our isolation, but we desire new people to share our hopes and dreams with us. Bless you for your courage in visiting with us. I sat beside Clara's gravesite and mostly listened to her. She shared her fondest memories and deepest regrets of a life once lived. She bemoaned that her husband and children had somehow moved on without her. Clara was clear to point out that she didn't begrudge them for taking the chance to advance or finally be at rest. It was mostly that she missed them and wished she could figure out how to get past her own earthly shackles and join them in the afterlife. I didn't have any advice for her in that regard. I just sat and listened to her stories. It was a unique chance to experience the past through an eyewitness to a history once lost. As the first rays of dawn lightened up the horizon, Clara explained that she had to leave. I gave her a full embrace and she wished me well, before returning to the limbo realm, where she and the others dwelt during the day. She turned to speak one last time, but stopped herself. I had to coax her to complete her intended thought. Would you please come back and visit me again sometime? She asked sheepishly. I've dearly enjoyed speaking with you. I assured her I would come back and would also convince others to come and visit. It really isn't that different from spending time at a retirement home, except there are also departed children and people of different ages and time periods. They all want to share again in the human experience. Offering a sincere ear to the lonely seems like the compassionate thing to do for those in need, no matter where they dwell. So quoth this raven. So, that's been all for this one. If you did enjoy please remember to drop a like, comment and even subscribe if you're new, as well as check out Madame Raven's channel and do the same for her. It's been a pleasure and thanks for listening. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.